You have to try and keep your composure, deliver the facts as tough as they may be at times, and try to assure the folks in the best way that you can that there is going to be a brighter day, that we are going to get through this, but right now it's tough for everybody. Welcome to Better Together with Costi Epifonsive, a podcast on parenting, business, and living life intentionally. We're here every week to bring you thoughtful conversation on making your own path to success, challenging the status quo, and finding all the ways we're better together. Here's your host, Costi Epifonsive. Hey, y'all, this is Costa, and today I'm here with my guest, Philip Gibbons, program director for Zimmer Broadcasting, voiceover artist, host, radio personality, and Radio Hall of Fame inductee. Philip, you started working in broadcasting at 15. Do you remember the first time you heard your voice, and did you know that that was what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? You know, I do remember hearing my voice for the first time, and it wasn't pretty. (laughs) I had a lot of work to do. But to answer your question about did I know that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life, probably not then, but it was something that I was interested in. My parents would tell me that as a toddler, four or five years old, I would watch television and I would imitate the newscasters or the the weather forecasters. So I guess at that point is where I maybe decided that's something that I wanted to pursue, even at that young age. You have a great voice. Like you've got that cool, like I was going to say kind of like almost like a Barry Manilow, you know, just... (laughs) It really soothes you, you know? Well, thanks. I I appreciate that. (laughs) I certainly didn't sound like this when I was 15. (laughs) I I will say, though, it is weird because when I first started doing these podcasts and you hear yourself in the headphones, like it throws you off because when else do you just, you know, listen to yourself speak, right? Right. And I don't know if when you were growing up, if you ever had like a fear of public speaking, but I did. And it was... It was quite shocking. Well, my parents would tell me that if it was a play at church or whatever, Uh I would be the first one in front of the microphone. I love it. I I guess maybe I didn't have a fear at that point. You were born for this. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Great. Fantastic. (laughs) You are a self-made man, which I feel like today has a different meaning because now we can go on YouTube and pretty much learn anything that we want. But when you came up through the industry, that wasn't an option. So how did you do it? Well, it was all hands-on, on-the-job experience, you know, physically pushing the buttons to make the recorder work or playing the records on the two turntables that were in the studio. But I was taught by, you know, someone how to do all of those things, being taught by a fellow DJ how to read the meters on the transmitters back in those days. Uh And it sounds like it was forever ago. You would have to log the transmitter readings, power output, that sort of thing. You had to turn this little knob behind you and it would read out in amperes or whatever. And if those readings were off, you would have to notify the engineer. But you're right. That's not something that I I could Google back then or watch on YouTube. That's something that I had to learn. Does the radio employ engineers nowadays? Yes. Okay. We do have a chief engineer. He is full-time in the building. And what year did you start working in radio? 1974. Okay. Here's what I envision. So back in the day, you guys had like the vinyl records that you put on. Did you do that? Of course. (laughs) Of course. I love it. So I got to ask. Sure. How much has radio changed since 1974. Oh, my goodness. 
the changes have, have been, wow, I don't really know where to begin. But I guess the biggest change is when we went from those days to uh, digital. The digital world absolutely changed everything. Like I was saying, during that time, mm-hmm. you physically had to queue up the records on the turntable to get them ready for airplay. You pushed the buttons to make everything work. You opened up the microphone. You had to be live in studio all the time. Usher in the digital age, all of that changed. A lot of people, they just think that you come in the studio and you push a button and literally play a song. But how does behind the scenes radio actually work? Yeah, I don't just walk into the studio every morning and say, I'm going to play this, 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 (laughs) this, and this. All of our music is pre-programmed. A lot of research goes into what we play. Songs are in different categories. We have powers, mediums, lights, recurrence, goals. And we tell the computer where to play all of these songs. So the computer does its work. And then there are places where we stop down and we talk. But there's a lot of research, national research, that goes into the songs that are played, what we say, and of course, the commercials that are played as well. That is so fascinating. I just have a short follow-up question, though. Sure. When something may happen in the local community, or let's just say it's Friday, yeah. is there like a Friday button and they play like the songs that you would have you would want to hear on Friday to get ready for the weekend? Fridays are different. There's no question about that. We're a little more loose on Friday. Absolutely. Of course, you know, we'll take requests anytime and try and work them in. But there's a few special songs for Friday that we do play and sprinkle in. Absolutely. Do you guys have people that have called the radio station like every few months for the past 20 years? Like, do you have those types of people? We absolutely do. They are loyal listeners. I love it. Do you have like a? Do you have like nicknames and names for them and stuff? Uh, we won't use that here, though. Okay, <laughs> you got it. You got it. All right. What was it like being a guest announcer at the Grand Ole Opry for 13 years? And how did this opportunity come about? What an incredible experience. We reached out, or I reached out, to the promotions department at the Grand Ole Opry developed a friendship, a relationship with the person in charge of promotions. We became one of their regional radio stations. The Grand Ole Opry works with several different stations. I think Crossville, Bowling Green, Cookville, and a few more. We give away tickets to their shows. Actually, every day during my show, I give away a pair of tickets to the Saturday night Grand Ole Opry. But these regional stations that they work with They will give us an opportunity one night a year to invite our listeners to the Grand Ole Opry at a reduced price. For instance, our frequency is Mm 94.7. So uh, a few years, they would offer ticket prices at $9.47 for that one certain night, one night of the year. Amazing. Yeah, it was a great deal for our listeners. And we would have several hundred folks from this area at the Grand Ole Opry on that special night. And I would be guest announcer for 30 minutes. And that was just the coolest experience ever. That was probably the highlight of my career, standing on that stage where so many of the greats in country music stood. How do you land something like that? Like, did you have to go and talk to somebody at the Grand Ole Opry and say, hey, I've got this idea? Or did somebody at Zimmer Broadcasting put it together? Well, it all started out with that relationship that I built with the promotion team there at the Grand Ole Opry. 
we became friends. We became, you know, partners. Sure. And it just kind of evolved from that. I love that. Thank you. You've interviewed some of the most legendary artists in country music history. How do you prepare? Do you ever get nervous? And what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you on air? Well, I do get nervous, slightly, but they usually provide you with talking points. For instance, if I'm interviewing Garth Brooks or whomever, his management team, his record label will reach out several days in advance and say, hey, here's an opportunity. Garth is going to be available at such and such time. Would you like to participate? And of course, the answer is yes. So they will send you talking points, that sort of thing. For instance, the last time I interviewed Garth was during his tour when they stopped in Nashville to perform at Nissan Stadium. It's been a couple of years. This wasn't the one that got like kind of rained out, right? And you had to refund those tickets. That was the one. My oh, wife wow. were there in our great seats. Yeah. We were ready. We were excited. <laughs> and the thunder rolled. What a bummer, man. I tell you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. But he did make it up, though. He and did make I think it did up. two concerts, right? That in is Nashville. correct. Yeah, yeah. That is correct. That's the kind of guy he is. Agreed. But back on that interview, they would provide you with talking points, that sort of thing. But what I try to do is not always stick with those those talking points. I'm not going to try and put him or her on the spot, but maybe dig a little deeper and find out something that Garth likes or is, you know, crazy about or whatever and kind of kind of get off those talking points for a it's second. It's okay to go off script essentially is what you're saying. Yeah, I think it is as long as you don't put them on the spot or try to embarrass them in any way or something like What's that. What's the craziest thing that's ever happened during your interviews? Okay. Early on in my career, during that era, we would be responsible for reading the news. Okay. We had a news wire called the Associated Press, and it typed and printed constantly, constantly. Mm -hmm. So we would have to rip the news off, uh, world and state news. And I remember reading the news one afternoon. It was live on the air. I had a piece of copy in my hand, and someone... <laughs> One of the other DJs had a lighter or a match or something, and he set the uh, the paper afire. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so I just continued reading. That was a hot story, by the way. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny, but I just kept reading like nothing was going on, you know, and finally got the end of that story. You know, I got to ask you, though, like you've been obviously delivering the news for so long, and you've been a part of so many significant moments in history. Say, for example, like 9-11, you know, can you talk a little bit about how you were able to navigate those extremely difficult periods on the radio and give people what I would assume is a, a sense of security? Well, that was the day that changed America. And obviously for days, we were wall to wall with news of that horrific event. Yeah. You're delivering not just news. You're not just the voice of Cookville. You are the person that tells everybody that it's going to be okay. Hey, hang in there. So I guess I'm just wondering like, how you're able to navigate those moments with optimism. You have to try and keep your composure, mm -hmm. deliver the facts as tough as they may be at times, and try to assure the folks in the best way that you can that there is going to be a brighter day, that we are going to get through this. But right now, it's tough for everybody. You've been in the industry almost 50 years. Needless to say, a lot has changed for not just radio and media, 
but the world in general. What's been the most significant change, and how could today's hosts and broadcasters learn from the professionals that came before them? I think the biggest change, and we may have talked about this earlier, is the digital age. Sure. No more CDs, no more tapes. Everything is digital. My entire show is completely programmed, including music, commercials, and audio. So I think that's probably the biggest change. You know, just do your homework, maybe do a deep dive, find out what made them tick and what made them so successful. What do you think made you successful? It was certainly a process. Mm -hmm. Maturing, honing my craft, being involved in the community, being a part of their lives, talking to them on the air and not at them. Research indicates that people listening to you want to have a conversation with you. They want you to talk directly to them, not at them, like you and I are doing right now. Absolutely. So I think all of those have helped me become successful. It's interesting because it's a very good segue. So having a conversation, talking to them, not at them, if that's what people want, let's talk about the future. What do you believe the future of broadcasting looks like? What will you miss the most? But also, what do you look forward to? Well, it's certainly going to look different. There's no question about that. There aren't as many opportunities for employment because of consolidation. For example, if one company buys up multiple stations, say across the Southeast or across the country, they will often use a small handful of their personalities who will provide audio for all of those stations that they own. We call it voice tracking. And that has eliminated a lot of jobs and put good on-air talent in the unemployment line. Mm -hmm. Something that I'll probably miss is connecting with my listeners on air on a daily basis. But now with podcasts like, you know, this one, perhaps that's something that I'll investigate. You so, should. So I look forward to that. <laughs> you totally should. And I'll tell you, there's um, Cumulus Broadcasting. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think they own over half, if not 60% of all radio stations. Cumulus and iHeart are and the two iHeart. biggies, yes. And you're absolutely right. That consolidation, and it's happening not just in the radio industry, but in, indus in all industries right now. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's actually happened... My show is 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. on 94.7 The Country Giant. I work for Zimmer Broadcasting. They own stations not only in Cookville, but in Lawrence, Kansas, and also in Illinois. Oh, wow. So I actually, maybe I shouldn't admit this because I'm talking about how the industry's changed. So we have a country station in Lawrence, Kansas, and I am heard there hosting their midday show. Interesting. So let me ask you this. We were talking briefly about how podcasts, how they're kind of supplanting radio. I'll be honest, when I was a kid growing up, I would listen to the radio every morning with my dad. Sure. Every time I got into the car, I was listening to the radio because it's like you said earlier, like that's where the new music that's was. Right. Yeah, you didn't have a cell phone that could stream. Sometimes I didn't have a CD player and tapes were like, you know, they were gone, right? You know, so you were kind of in this like gap. But there was programming, not just one show. We had, there, there was this one uh, radio personality called Steve and Vicky in the morning on 94.1 in right. Atlanta. My right. dad and I listened to him every morning and they had this challenge where they'd ask people to um, stay in a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> 
Exactly, right? It's crazy. And the last person to remain in this Volkswagen Beetle got the car. And they would spend a month and a half literally just tracking these people as they would, you know, drop off of course, and they'd try of to course. convince them to come out. And so literally people were tuning into the radio, not just to listen to music, but also to kind of get like entertainment, you know? Of course. But let me ask you this. Then satellite radio comes around and that's consolidated, that's syndicated, and it goes across the entire United States mm-hmm. from satellite radio to now podcasts, which I only really listen to podcasts and occasionally NPR, how has that impacted the industry? And does radio need to change if it wants to stay competitive or dare I say like alive? It has impacted what we do. There's no question about that. Radio has got to find more ways to be heard, Mm -hmm. whether it's podcast, whether it's streaming. Radio has to reinvent itself because of all the things that we talked about so far. But I believe, and I do think research indicates this, the radio stations moving forward that are going to be very successful are those radio stations that are invested in their local communities Good point. that have live and local personalities who are in their community, who are delivering the news, who are delivering the entertainment. Those are the stations that will be successful. Now, the other ones, I don't know how long they can survive. That's a great perspective. And it's something that Morgan and I have identified as this show has progressed, because first off, we never meant it to be a locally syndicated show, and we never thought that we would gain so much traction in a local market. But I think it's exactly to your point. Local people want to listen to local voices. They want to know about the things that are happening within their community. Whereas, you know, you'd have a nationally syndicated show. Sure. Maybe once a week you're going to listen to that nationally syndicated show, but you'll listen to that local voice every single day. Yes, exactly. Let me rewind just a little bit. Sure, please. Talking about me hosting the show there in Lawrence, Kansas. Well, even though I'm not live and local there, their program director will send me information about things that are happening in Lawrence in that area. So I try to make it sound as local as possible and occasionally will visit their market. But yes, it it is the stations, it is the personalities who invest themselves in those local communities. Can you give some advice to all of our listeners who are aspiring broadcasters, hosts, and even podcast personalities like me? Well, let let me start with aspiring broadcasters. Be willing to do what it takes, you know, get as much education as you possibly can. Maybe intern, because more than likely, a good chance that your first job in radio is going to be an entry-level position. I mean, before you go on air, you might be helping set up events. You might be assisting the marketing department. Not everybody can be on air or whatever, but you can make a good living in promotions, in marketing, in radio, but everybody's not going to be a personality. Yeah, be willing to do what it takes. If, if your goal is to be on air, you know, get Give in it there, 110%. Yeah, get in that radio station, learn from some of the best. Can I ask you just a quick side question before we sure. wrap up? Sure. When you're on the radio. Do you ever wish that you could have a longer conversation with your guests as opposed to just a short interview? I do. Absolutely right. Because it's kind of proven a music intense format. They're not going to tolerate long interviews, Mm -hmm. just little snippets. Just get to the point. 
attention spans are not like they used to be. Exactly. When they push that radio button, they want to hear their favorite song. And if I'm going to tell them a story, the consultants will tell you, you've got to get in the, in the, in the first four or five seconds or you're going to lose them. So you better hook them. You better bring them in with something to keep them. Yeah. That, and that's why like at the beginning of the podcast, we have like a sound bite that's kind of like the most impactful statement in the show, just like you said. So it kind of hooks them in. But I'll tell you, like, there's a lot of interviews that I do on this podcast where it takes like 15 to 20 minutes exactly. just to get comfortable, you know? That's absolutely right. And so if somebody's not used to being on the radio. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. It's like driving a car with like one wheel, you know, you're just trying to get to the end, you know, without crashing. I don't think I ever answered your other question about advice for uh, podcast personalities. Yeah, please. Well, I would just say, you know, get to know your guest, everything about them. And make it conversational, just like you and I are doing right now. I love it. And you'll do fine. You'll go far. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Sure. So we always like to end the show on a high note. Who is one person that makes you better when you're together? Well, that would have to be my wife, my life partner, Sue. She and I actually met in radio, and we worked together for a number of years in radio before she retired and actually went to work for the public television station. So it's Sue. We're better together. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Better Together with Costa Yepafontive. If you've enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Better Together with Costa Yepafontive is a Costa Yepafontive production. Today's episode was written and produced by Morgan Franklin. Post-production, mixing, and editing by Mike Franklin. Want to know more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafontive.com. We're better together. 